Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and their Multicultural Mess and Secular Scam. Thank you very much for joining me today. I hope you have had a great time, a great week. We're going into the weekend and I hope you have a great weekend. India is doing fantastically well at the Commonwealth Games. Do not forget to cheer on her great athletes, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, 26 medals, I think we got 6 or 8 today. And it's been fantastic. Very proud of the Indian team over there. Uh, we still got a couple of days more to go, and, and I'm sure we're going to get some more medals. Uh, last tally, the last Olympic game, um, Commonwealth was 33. So hopefully we can get at least 33 this time, if not more. And, you know, win or lose, we are always proud of the athletes. Uh, in my time, we never had this opportunity. Uh, but to see them doing so well, uh, you know, it's not about winning or losing. It's about the game. It's about the principle. Uh, and uh, just the, the, the issue in trying, the difficulty in trying uh, to get to that level is, is incredible. I was an athlete when I was young and I tried to go for the distance. I could not go anywhere. But uh, so I understand the, the difficulties behind the sport, behind the athlete, um, the mentality, the time taken. I used to train six hours a day, sometimes seven hours, and, but it was beautiful. It, it, it may not have gone anywhere, but to, but it gave me a health uh, and an ability to think and stand up for myself and, and build myself uh, mentally, physically, ideologically into a strong person who I am today. And all of that's because of sport. So please support your athletes in whatever way you can. And, and, and take up a sport, whatever it is. Believe me, it is the best thing you can do. It is a vent for your emotions, plus, minus, negative, positive. positive. It, takes, it, it teaches you so much. You learn so much in sport. Uh, because sport is an, an extension of life. Um, it is not just, you know, about the metal so it's an it's an extension of life it's a great way to vent your emotions offload your data um, make that interaction and still be friends with the other side shake hands with your opponent and 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 smile and uh, so you know if you have a chance to play some sport whatever it is go ahead and do it uh, take it up even if you don't be a professional encourage your children to be sporting uh people uh put them in whatever sport play with them in the in the backyard or in 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 the compound and believe me it'll go great way it's a great bonding method uh sport and um kudos to the indian team um and i hope that we will get better and better as the years to come um today uh, we are going to do something else in the field of literature uh, a sport in itself uh, literature it's about ex atwa, all that lies in between opening the layers and the layers of data that have made us up for the thousands of years the packets of data that make up our dna the cycle after cycle after cycle making every single junction into an intellectual laboratory atwa all that lies in between Hindutva, the currents that form the waves of the water that surrounds the land, that's Hindustan. So what are currents that form our waves? I've spoken to you about the Indian, uh, about Indian history, uh, um, history as far back as we can go. Uh, we've spoken to you about the Middle Ages. We've spoken about you the different empires. I've spoken to you about partition, uh, who influenced it, the different sides, um, 
also that partition did not start off as partition in itself. It started out with separate electorate, and the partition in itself, in my opinion, was not because of Hindu Muslim. It ended up as a narrative for as for Hindu Muslim, but it actually was for socialism versus communism, uh, socialism versus capitalism. It was a cold war for economics camouflage with Hindu Muslim. Um, we know that Nehru uh, was also a socialist Marxist and he influenced everything uh, that's on the Indian subcontinent. He himself was influenced by Edwina Mountbatten and the Mountbatten's have a big place in Indian history, it doesn't always be the best place, but it's important to know who they are and how they influenced this time and how they influenced Nehru to, to change uh, a lot of the constitution to their benefit. Um, We've talked about a little bit about the Indian Constitution. Today we're going to start talk about our neighboring state, uh, Pakistan, who was once for part of India, and even as the Indian subcontinent, we are still one. We're brothers and sisters. We may have ideological differences, but the best way to heal, my dear friends, is when you look at the Indian subcontinent. Do not look at it as 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 political areas, polit political regions, political countries, borders. We are one subcontinent. The, the conscious is one, the metaphysical is one, the energy field is one, and when you remove these barriers from your head, believe me, you will heal. You will heal. Do not look at something as, um, as a barrier, as, as a political barrier, maybe uh, not an ideological barrier. When you see something happen in one side of the subcontinent, believe me, it will, um, uh, it will travel as, as a as a frequency, you see how frequencies travel the same way it, it vibrates all across the subcontinent. So something that happens negative on one side will, will automatically vibrate and go, and go to the opposite side like a pendulum, and it will it will continue. Cycles will form currents and waves, and it will vibrate all over the subcontinent. Energy does not have barriers, so it's important to understand the subcontinent as a whole. So today we're going to talk about something that's important. I, 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 I purchased a book very long time ago called Reimaging Pakistan, Transforming of a Dysfunctional Nuclear State by former ambassador of Pakistan to the United States, Hussein Haqqani. Uh, you can get the book on Amazon or any other place you'd like to get the book on, uh, Flipkart or Whichever way you want to get that book, it's 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 a good book to read. We're going to review the book. I'm going to read you some chapters, but um, get the book if you want. It's important to have a point of view. Mr. Hakani, you may not agree with everything, but Mr. Hakani is a very liberal, or should I say open-minded uh, gentleman. He is the former ambassador of Pakistan to the United States. He lives in the United States. And uh, he has a point of view that comes from the inside and as an outsider now because he's lived in the States for so long. But it's important for you to understand the different points of view. And so if you get a chance to buy the book, it's called Reimaging Pakistan, Transform Transforming a Dysfunctional Nuclear State. So I'm going to read you a couple of chapters. We'll start with chapter number three, Ideological Dysfun Dysfunction. In April 2017, a 23-year-old journalism student was lynched by a mob at his university in Maktan, northwestern Pakistan. Mashal Khan said in a report in the British newspaper Guardian was known for questioning his peers and speaking out against injustice and, and corruption. 
After a heated discussion one day, he was seized from his dorm room by a mob that stripped him and beat him, and then shot him dead. Khan was accused of making offensive comments about Islam, a dangerous charge in a society where perceived disrespect of religion can ignite violent anger. <coughs> Sorry. Instead of focusing on the murder, the administration of the university chose first to launch an investigation into Khan's alleged blasphemy. The local cleric in Khan's hometown refused to lead his funeral prayers, saying he would not pray for blasphemy. Uproar by Pakistan's diminishing liberal and secular activists, coupled with fear of negative international attention, forced the university's provost to change course and attribute blasphemy investigation to a clerical error. Protests around the country and on social media resulted in the arrest of some of those involved in the lynching, but the protest, once the protests died down, the dead young man's family faced threats to back off from seeking justice. Within two months of lynching, Khan's father filed a petition in Pakistan Supreme Court seeking the government's help in relocating his daughters and himself to federal capital Islamabad due to security threats in the Khyber Pakhtunwa province and family hometown of Swabi. The case was just one of the many instances of growing religious intolerance and violence in a country where blasphemy laws are often misused for revenge or personal gain. It was the first blasphemy killing at Pakistan University and the fact that Khan was by all accounts a respectful Muslim had garnered sympathy for him. A lot of dragging him into the street where he was beaten to death and his body set on fire. No one was punished for orchestrating or participating in the lynching. Since 1990, at least 65 people have murdered in Pakistan over blasphemy allegations. Most have not received even the minimal compassion with that Khan attracted because of his youth and brutality of the killers that was witnessed by millions on videotape posted on the internet. But the fact that those who did not participate in this murder recorded it on video with their cell phones instead of trying to save Khan's life was telling in itself. Pakistan's view of itself as a citadel of Islam was created an environmental environment in which violence is normal provided it committed in the name of Islam. In high-profile killings of people accused for blasphemy, victims have been publicly demonized while killers have been nailed, killed as heroes. And in 2011, Salman Taseer, the governor of Punjab, criticized Pakistan's draconian blasphemy laws and describing them as man-made and subject to change. He was assassinated by one of his bodyguards after he voiced sympathy for Aisha Bibi, a Christian mother of five, sentenced to death for alleged, allegedly insulting Prophet Muhammad. Taseer's killer, Mumtaz Kadri, was described as a defender of the Prophet's honor by clerics and lawyers who rose, who showered lowest petals on him when he was brought to court for the first time for his trial, for trial as a murderer. Public opinion was deemed heavily against Tasir and Bibi, who was still in prison, and such was the fear of vigilante violence that even President Asif Ali al-Zardari, a friend and ally of Tasir, did not attend um, Tassi's funeral out of concern for his own security. In a rare display of the writ of the state against an individual uh, murdering a senior official for religious reasons, Kadri was convicted of murder. 
He was executed in 2016 after the Supreme Court held upheld his conviction and received a, a hero's burial. Khadri's burial near Islamabad had been converted into a shrine but with, built with millions of rupees in donations and receiving thousands of visitors coming to pay homage to a martyr. Uh, instead of trying to calm down the religious fever generated by extremist clerics, Pakistan's government and state instituted have tended through most of its history to ex ex exasperate religious sentiment. Just before Khan's murder, officials had announced a clampdown on blasphemous material on social media, asking Facebook and Twitter to help them identify users or they could be prosecuted. By keeping blasphemy center stage, the government stokes the fire that leads to actions of vigilantes who have not always pious individuals acting on religious sentiment. Laboratory of Islam None of Pakistan's founding fathers probably desired or even anticipated the widespread violence in the name of religion that has now become associated with their country. Um, but the current state of Pakistan is in some ways the culmination of the process of defining Pakistan through Islam that began soon after the country's creation. Some of the academics attribute Pakistan's trouble to its inception and ambiguity about what it means to be Pakistani. According to Chatham House scholar Farzana Sheikh, it, it is the country's problematic and contested relationship with Islam that has most decisively frustrated its quest for a coherent national identity and for stability as a nation state capable of absorbing the challenges of rich and diverse society. Pakistani, including those with a modern outlook, do not like the country's history being discussed in the context of what psychologist Eric Erickson described as an identity crisis. They often argue that liberals both in Britain and the US tend to be unsympathetic towards Pakistan because of their liberal bias against the idea of religion being used as an ideology to create a state. Even if one rejects the notion of an identity crisis, extreme and violent manifestations of religious sentiment in Pakistan stem from the fear that Islam is under threat. Angry Islamists re reject tolerance of others. Um, because they suspect such tolerance would dilute their religion. The fear of erosion of the Islamic way of life and rallied subcontinent Muslims to the cause of Pakistan. It shaped Pakistan's state ideology and now manifests itself in sectarian strife and fundamentalist demands. The intimate relationship with, between Islam and Pakistani identity means that the men of faith are portrayed as dis defenders um, of the country's ideology, making it difficult for Pakistan government to act against those who act aggressively to protect the state that defines the Pakistani state and nation. The extremists are seen, at worst, as misguided patriots and true believers whose enthusiasm must be harnessed for the greater good instead of being uh, uh, punished. In the effort to create a new nation-state, Pakistan's founders had simultaneously offered two visions of Pakistan nationalism. The first was one what one historian Faisal Devji defines as Muslim Zion, a land where the Muslim minority disperses across the vast subcontinent could escape the majority's persecution. The other vision was Pakistan is described by another historian, Venkat Dulipia, as the new Medina, the harbinger of Islam's renewal and rise in the 20th century. 
the new leader and protector of the global community of Muslims and worthy successor to the defunct Turkish Caliphate. The speeches and interviews of Jinnah and his lieutenants in the run-up to partition suggested both visions were put forth depending on the audience. For instance, the Muslim League leader in the United Provinces, Nawab Ismail Khan, had convened a conference of the ulama and prominent Muslim intellectuals to draft a blueprint in an Islamic for an Islamic constitution. Soon after the League's demand for separate Muslim states was first made in 1940, the politicians and scholars convened the Nadwatul Ulama, a madrasa in Lucknow, and delegated the, the task of drafting a document on an Islamic constitution of Muhammad Ishaq Sandelvi, who produced a 300-page manuscript. That document was used by the ulama in their primary source for recommendations for Pakistan's constituent assembly after independence. The Muslim League had enrolled the support of a faction of the traditional ulama um, in 1945-46 election under the banner of Jamat Ulima Islam or Society of Islamic Scholars. Maulana Shabir Ahmed Ustami, a stalwart of the conservative Deoband Madrasa, led his this effort and gathered 5,000 clerics at a conference. During the election campaign on behalf of the Muslim League, Osami, uh, Usmani glorified Pakistan as the first Islamic state in history that would attempt to reconstruct the Islamic utopia created by the Prophet in Medina. He uses the names of Pakistan and Medina interchangeably to solidify their in in identification in the public mind and invoked powerful metaphors from early Islamic history. Usma Usmani asserted that Pakistan would be a place where Muslims could practice their religion with complete freedom it was only in such a land that Muslim community could dwell up in its fullest potentiality. In the book, The Punjab, Bloodied Partition uh, and Cleansed, Ish Istiak Ahmad details how Jinnah gave a free hand to the Sunni clerics and Mash Mashik, head of Sufi shrines in Punjab, to mobilize uh, voters. Uh, the religious leaders promised that Pakistan reflect, would reflect Islam's idealized Islamic past. Uh, Punjab's governor, Sir Ber Bertrand Glancy, reported to the Viceroy in September 1945. Muslim leaguers are doing what they can in a way of propaganda, conducting on fanatical lines religious leaders and religious buildings are being used freely in several places for advocating Pakistan and vilifying any opposite uh, views. In, other, in another report, he observed that among Muslims, the leaguers are increasing the effort to appeal to the bigotry of the electors. Peers and Mulvies have been enlisted in large numbers to tour the province and denounce all those who oppose the league as infidels. Copies of the Holy Quran are carried out around as an emblem peculiar, peculiar to the Muslim League. Feroz uh, Khan and others openly preach that even the, every vote given to the League is a vote cast in the favor of the Holy Prophet. By February 1946, Glancy's complaints about Muslim League's fanatical oratory in Punjab had become more strident. Mulvies and Firs st students travel all around the province and preach that those who fail to vote for the League's candidates will cease to be Muslims, their marriages will no longer be valid, and they will be entirely excommunicated. 
Meanwhile, just as the ulama and Mashik spoke of Pakistan in religious terms, Jinnah and Liaquat Ali Khan tried to play down the religious factor when necessary. Speaking in Koita uh, in October 1945, Jinnah mocked those who said that they did not understand the idea of Pakistan. If you do not understand it, that, then what is it that you are opposing? Then he went off to define Pakistan in terms that can be best described as Muslim nationalism, not a promise to create an Islamic theocracy. Pakistan means a partition. Pakistan means a division. It means you must take Hindu provinces of yours and leave out the Muslim provinces where we want to establish our own government. In a speech to Aligarh Muslim University around the same time, Liaquat Ali Khan stressed that Pakistan meant the establishment of a free, independent and democratic and sovereign states in those areas and zones in which Muslims are a majority. He hoped that boundaries of Pakistan would be the present provincial boundaries of Punjab, Northwest Frontier Province, Baluchistan and Sindh in the Northwest and Bengal and Assam in the Northeast. Then he proceeded to respond to, que respond to questions about Pakistan's future constitution. Pakistan will be a democratic state and its constitution will be framed by the people of those areas through a constituent assembly elected by them. He declared that no mention of Islam as, foundation of, as the foundation of a new state. The contradictory assertions were later welcomed or criticized by the Muslim League supporters, depending on who they, where they stood. The League treasurer, the Raja of Mahamudabad, um, appreciated Jinnah's statement that the government of Pakistan will be on democratic lines with state control over the key industries. He expressed the hope that the constitution of Pakistan will be modeled on the latest up-to-date experiences of and practical working of democracy rather than the way in indefinite slogans such as the Hakumat i Ilahiya, God's rule. But the lack of uh, specificity about how Pakistan will be run which helped garner support for the demand for Pakistan, also created confusion that had lasted throughout Pakistan history. After independence attempted to set Pakistan's direction away, Jinnah attempted to set Pakistan's direction away from theocracy by telling Pakistan's constituent assembly uh, that he emphasized a Pakistan where, most, where over time the angularities of the majority and minority communities, the Hindu community uh, and the Muslim community would vanish. Ideally, in the course of times, Hindus would cease to be Hindus and Muslims would cease to be Muslims. Not in religious sense, but because that is the personal fate of in every individual. But it is the political sense of citizens of the state. In speech, in, a, in this speech, Jinnah had made a declaration that pointed in the direction of a secular in emphasizing Pakistan. You are free. You are free to go to your temples. You are free to go to your mosque or any other place of worship in the state of Pakistan. You may belong to any religion or caste or creed that has nothing to do with the business of the state. But one speech was not enough to clarify the deliberate ambiguity and, the, and that has characterized the state for Pakistan's creation in the preceding seven years. A few months after the stating that religion had done nothing to do with the business of the state, Jinnah went on to describe Pakistan as this mighty land uh, that's been bought on the rule which is Islamic. Conventional wisdom in Pakistan is that Jinnah had lived on. He would have 
being able to define Pakistan's direction away from the confusion that followed. Jinnah's death in sep September 1948, less than 13 months after independence, left the country in the hands of politicians and British-era civil servants, none of whom had anywhere uh, had anywhere near Jinnah's stature. Instead of adopting a new secular nationalism, proposed in Jinnah's address to the Constituent Assembly, contending factions invoked religious arguments to advance political agendas. These arguments kept alive the pre-partition passions and helped the ruling oligarchy in postponing the, the making of the constitution. Civilian leaders bargained for power behind the scenes, refusing to hold general elections. Once a Muslim officer took command of Pakistan's army in 1951, the army too became part of the elite that chose to define Pakistan's nationalism in religious terms. A major problem in Pakistan's early years related to power equation between the East and the West. The majority of the country's population resided in its Eastern wing and democracy would have favored Bengali politicians ascend to power. Partition rights had reduced the population of non-Muslims in the West Pakistan for 20% and a normal 3% um, to a normal 3%, but Hindus were constitutional. Sorry. Uh, partition rights had reduced the population of non-Muslims in Western Pakistan from 20% to a nominal 3%, but Hindus still constituted 22% of East Pakistan uh, population. Remember that. 3% of Hindus constituted 22% of the East Pakistan population. Prominent East Pakistani politicians, notably Suharawardi, advocated secularism and demanded elections. Confident of winning a majority of votes with the Hindu minority serving as a dependable vote bank. It was therefore in the interest of the West Pakistani politicians to play the religion card. They postponed elections as long as they could, hoping the, to limit the influence of the Hindu vote in the East Pakistan by insisting that Pakistan re retain separate electorates and implement Islamic law. Canadian academic Khalid bin Said conducted a survey during the 1960s and found that West Pakistanis who taught Islam were an effective bond of unity for the new country uh, constituted a far greater proportion of the total than East Pakistanis who held the same view. According to Said, 87% of West Pakistan's populace de deemed Islam to be the glue that would keep Pakistan together um, while only 66.7% of East Pakistanis thought the same. An overwhelming, an overwhelming majority of East Pakistanis, including students, teachers, civil servants, and other professionals and housewives, told Sayyid that the Quran does not exercise much influence on their day-to-day -day, uh, activities, but they have kept deep reverence to the Quran in a sacred book. Thus, the exigence of maintaining the West Pakistani a political and bureaucratic military elite in power were the major reason why after Jinnah's death uh, the secular Muslim National Party was hurriedly uh, abandoned. A first and foremost step towards transforming Pakistan in an Islamic state was taken in March 1949 when, when Liaquat as Prime Minister presented the ob Objectives resolution, resolution in the Constitution Assembly. 
the resolution laid out the main principles of future Pakistani constitution. It provided for democracy, freedom, equality, and social justice, as enunciated by Islam, opening the door of the future controversies about what Islam required for a state. The objectives re resolution was a curious mix of theology and political science. It insisted that sovereignty took over um, the entire universe belonging to Allah, Almighty alone, and asserted the view that the state of Pakistan had been, dele been delegated authority by God, which would be exercised within the limits uh, prescribed by him. As a sacred trust, the state shall exercise its powers and authority through the chosen representatives of the people. Uh, it would observe principles of democracy, freedom, equality, tolerance, and social justice as enunciated by Islam. And its objective would be uh, enable Muslims to order their lives in individual and um, teachings and requirements of Islam as set out in the Holy Quran and the Sunnah. Non-Muslim opposition members and a, sol a sol solitary Muslim parliamentarian expressed serious qualms about committing the new state to ordering the lives in accordance with the teachings and requirements of Islam. But Liaka described it as the most important as, uh, association in, in the life of the country, next in importance only to the achievement of independence. In one way it was, after the objectives resolution, there was no turning back for Pakistan's status as an Islamic ideological state. Soon the Constituent Assembly was discussing proposals for an official collection of zakat, uh, the Islamic obligation of arms and, and giving. Some members argued that zakat was a substitute for income tax, and once zakat collection begins, income tax should cease to be collected. Islamic arguments were invoked both for and against land reforms. Um, demand for Islamic education followed, Ishtiaq Hussein Qureshi, an academic who served as Deputy Prime Minister in Liaquat's uh, cabinet, assured the members of the Constituent Assembly that the country would have some kind of organization for the purpose of collection of zakat, uh, which all of us know is, an, is incumbent upon every Muslim to pay. Qureshi also agreed that with the um, need for an organization to conduct research into Islamic learning and institutions which may tell Muslims what exactly they should understand by Islam. Browsing through the record of the Constituent Assembly debates, one finds gems like one finds members suggesting. Non-payment of zakat is a sin according to religion, but I think steps should be taken, therefore, um, to make a non-payment of zakat as an offense to it. Another call for arrangements for the state to facilitate the five-time prayers and fasting um, had and warned that non-Muslims always take advantage of our goodness and ask the state to be very cautious to them. So this is just what we're doing today. Um, the history, the atwa, all that lies in between of the um, book Remaining Reimaging Pakistan, Transforming a Dysfunctional Nuclear State. So it's very important to understand this point of view, uh, my dear friends. Uh, the book, this uh, podcast is a review for that. 
Um, we will continue this podcast tomorrow, but understanding Pakistan from people who are able to look at it from different angles, from angles that are now where they're based out in, in, in the West, in, in different parts of the world, it's important for them to understand their point of view. Uh, this book is a very important, very good, uh, most of the time, the former ambassador of Pakistan to um, the United States, Mr. Haqqani, has done a great job. Uh, we will continue reading from it tomorrow, but uh, if you get a chance to do it again and to read the book, do, do go ahead. It's on Amazon, um, and you can buy it anytime. It's not very expensive. Uh, like I said, it's very important for us to listen to other points of view. So on that, I'll leave you. I'll let you go. I thank you for your time. I wish you a lot of peace. Research, my friends. Keep doing that research. Remember, we have currents and waves. The more we offload, the more we understand, make junctions into intellectual laboratory, we then have to offload because the moment we go to the next junction, we have to be ready, uh, no baggage, so that we don't drown, we don't, we are able to surf, uh, we are able to balance ourselves, and we are able to recreate a new generation of peaceful people. So thank you very much for your time. I hope you have a great weekend, and see you tomorrow.